Have you ever felt a stirring in your heart that you were called to do something greater than you are doing now? Or respond to a burning desire in your heart? Or maybe make a difference in a particular area or someone's life? Or is there a restlessness that stirs in your soul? Well, I'd like to welcome you to When the Moment Chooses You podcast. I am your host, Charlene Johnson, also known as Coach Charlene. This podcast will engage in compassionate, courageous conversations because I believe in your personal development, creating and inspiring destiny moments because every heartbeat truly matters. You will hear stories of change agents and trailblazers that dare to dream and not accept the status quo. Through hearing these stories, I truly believe that it will reignite the flame of passion and move you from just talking and thinking about it to actually being about it. We are all on our journeys of self-discovery. So be empowered as we inspire you to tap into the highest expression of yourself. Let's join the podcast. What would you, what would be your hope for even in where we are right now with less grow? Like, what do you see happening with that, if anything? The, the simple answer that comes to me is that it starts conversations. And yes. part of that is what you just said. Are we willing to simply come to the table? And is, is there a place at the table for everybody and their ignorance and their biases, right? It, one of the hardest parts for me in this whole thing is that I know I'm still going to say things that are racist. I'm still going to say things that are insensitive. Um, and, and I know part of this journey for me is that I have to cross those lines so that people can let me know, right? Yeah. Like, Hey, um, you know, that actually has a, has a history, right? And so if we could open up conversations and open up dialogue, and then with the shared humanity, if we could metaphorically or even literally when appropriate, hold hands and look each other in the eyes, right? None yes. of that is happening online. Right yes. now, the online space, I said earlier, is a battleground. It's, but it's also completely impersonal. And yes. a lot of the online accounts are not even real people, right? They're either bots or they're alter egos of people. So you got a lot of people that, you know, I call it keyboard courage. They, they get on their computer and they type out all this stuff that they would never say if they were actually looking somebody in the face yes. because they either wouldn't feel it or they know that there would be a consequence potentially if they say these things. So with all the online dialogue, that humanity is lost. And I... It's, it's really difficult to pull humanity back in online specifically. So I think we have to get face to face, whether it's yeah, online, absolutely. you know, online is fine, but we have to actually see other people and feel other people so that we can get to a place of empathy. And I think empathy is a really important word, but I think what we need to understand is that empathy is not a step to take. Empathy is a result of yes. taking steps. Empathy is a result of seeing another person as a human. Empathy is a result of listening to somebody else's story. Empathy yes. is a result of the connection. And then empathy happens. But we think that we can just turn on empathy, right? Or people get frustrated because other people are not empathetic. And it's not just a switch, right? It's right. a result of 
the messy work. Yes. And so if we could open up messy conversations, you know, we call these courageous cultural conversations because it does take courage. I mean, I just got goosebumps like, you know, in a, in a, uh, an unsettling kind of way, not in like a, yay, the clouds just parted kind of way, because I, I know what a lot of those conversations are like. And my body literally just responded. They, they, they take my breath away truly. Mm. And I've been in this conversation for almost three years now, and it's still not easy. It's still not comfortable. I still like have literally like heart palpitations. It's hard for me to breathe when I step into these conversations and I've done a lot of work, right? I've been in the coaching industry, personal development for a long, long time. (laughs) I've been doing so much work with myself and my own triggers and traumas and all of this stuff. And it's still hard. Yeah. So how can we hold the space for these courageous, not comfortable conversations. We would never call them comfortable cultural (laughs) conversations, courageous and uncomfortable conversations. Can we hold the space for that? And I think if we start dialogues, you know, what's it, what also just comes to me right now, Charlene is we, we literally do not know what comes after that because we've never been there. Yeah, like, absolutely. We've never been in a post George Floyd world. Right. In the middle of COVID, in the middle of all of the, you know, the polarization that 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 we are in, we've literally never been here. So there isn't a time where we can go, remember how we did it in the 90s? No. no. <laughs> remember how we did it in the 60s? No. Remember how we did it in 2015? No. None of that is relevant. So we are literally blazing trails. And if we could all, again, literally and metaphorically hold hands and, and lock elbows and go, I don't know what in the world is, is going to happen in front of us. I don't know how, what I'm going to experience. I don't know what I need to learn. I don't know what ignorance is going to be exposed, but let's do it together. Absolutely. And I think if we could do that, then we have a chance. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Sean. I really love how you said that. It actually made me think about. Uh, I'm gonna share a quick little story. I was taking. I'm Please. a nurse. I'm a nurse, right? So I was taking. I was in nursing school, taking care of a patient, cleaning her up. Her hair was like all over her head. She's a white lady, an old elderly lady. And so I get to like her chest, and then she had these long fingernails, Sean. And she grabbed my wrist, and I felt like I was being cut. And she said, "Get mm. your hands off of me!" And she used the N word. Wow. And I was like, I mean, it was so like gut wrenching. But you know what I heard, Sean? And then this is what really has kept me is I heard love her beyond where she is right now. Because wow. what if that was what if that was your mother? And it just like really shifted me. And I continued cleaning her up, got her beautiful for her family. But when I wow. left, like in 2020, that became my story to show that, you know what, I was wounded. I w- I can remember it like it was yesterday. But yeah. I also recognized that in that moment, I chose love. I chose mm. to love her beyond where she was. And so wow. if you can get, if we can get to this place of, you know what, I don't really understand what's going on, but you know what, I know you didn't mean that, my brother. I know you didn't mean that. And that's what I had to do during 
the whole 2020 and what was going on with yeah. people just shooting out insensitive words. You know, I'm gonna have to love you beyond. I will educate you, but I have to love you. I'm gonna have to love people beyond because what I noticed, Sean, is that that anguish that you guys talk about in that movie, it is real. You carry this bitterness. You carry this. Uh, trauma around it, it changes your DNA of who you are. And so for me not to allow the circumstances to impact who I am as a person, I had to get a different strategy. And my strategy was to love people beyond where they were in that moment. Now I'm going Mm. to do the education. I'm going to be there open to talk to you and things like that. But for me, a shift had to happen in my mind that, you know what, this person doesn't really know that they just messed up and said something. So I'm going to love them beyond that. And I'm going to have a conversation with them afterwards. And that's kind of how I've been navigating through. And I think when you talked about that empathy and that it's just not overnight, that we have to get to that place where even with the lady, I know she called me something very foul, but I even had to have empathy for her to see how horrible Mm. of a person that she probably was from her childhood on. And I just happened to be the one that was on the other end that got it. But my mother taught me enough about love that I could do what I did. Now I know it wasn't easy because quite honestly, Sean, the other, uh, the little devil on my shoulder was saying, put the pillow over her head. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, and, and your, reaction out of anger would have been justified. Right. You know, maybe not legally and no. you know, we could always take a step back, but I don't think too many people would have said, yeah, you shouldn't have done that if you would have just reacted, you know, out, Absolutely. Of, out of your instinct and w- whatever you did. Um, it, can I share a little bit more about this? Yeah. If, if, if it works for you. Absolutely. Um, a couple things. You met the moment with love, as you said. And uh, one of the things that I've learned in this whole process, um, just for myself and how it relates to me, because I'm not, I've never been called the N word and I've been called, you know, cracker or honky or whatever. None of those mean anything comparatively, right? right? So I don't really, I I don't understand, I don't know. This body does not know what was triggered in you. I, I can't. Right. I can't know that because it's not it's not a part of my history. And so for you to meet that moment and then choose love is so profoundly powerful because you want to be love, you know, and that's an intrinsic motivation that I was talking about earlier. You intrinsically you didn't say that to get an apology from her. Because I imagine she didn't apologize. Mm-mm. You, you, there was no kind of reciprocal expectation. No, I'm going to do this so that she changes her behavior or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, you just said, "I want to be love," and so in this moment, this is how I'm going to respond. And it, it, it's so difficult to do that. Yes, but so courageous. So I honor you for that piece, and thank you for for sharing with me that story. The well, second Sean, thing is, I, I didn't. Let me just say this while you're please. saying that I didn't want to be handcuffed in anger, and so yeah. I had to just say, you know what? I, I'm feeling every piece of anger that I can possibly feel, but I refuse to allow words to handcuff me where I can't love. 
You know what I'm mm. saying? And I know that probably took a lot of work on my behalf and doing the self work. But uh, but that's kind of my journey now, because even those things are said or different things are done. I cannot allow that to define who I am as a human being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. OK, go ahead. I'm sorry. I love how <laughs> you, you can feel the anger and still choose not to act out of it. Yeah. And that's really difficult to do. Yeah. I think we, we we want to do one or the other. And yeah. I think there's a lot of pain or anger or trauma that people don't want to touch. And that's also not healthy for us right. to repress what's real inside of us, right? Right. So the second thing that I that I want to share, and I very rarely share this, but I I, I appreciate this conversation um, and my impetus to share this. You know, you mentioned empathy. We've talked about that. Here's my hypothesis that I I feel is correct. The only way, if we go back hundreds of years, the only way that the white community and a lot of this came out of what you asked me earlier about, like, did I know a lot of these things? So I didn't know that lynchings were like celebrations at times that like, like the white community would come watch and they would, you know, I mean, I don't even want to go any further into it, but um, I didn't know the history of, uh, you know, I, I, I understood lynchings and what they were and, you know, to my degree, but I didn't really understand the gravity of it. And I didn't understand the gruesomeness of it in terms of like white people's not just desire to participate or watch, but just like completely, you know, just okay with it. Right. Like that's just the way it happens. Right. And so in, in studying a little bit of that more and reading books and, and trying to educate, like I was really unsettled by that. And I think what, what has to happen for humans to be okay with the existence of some of that atro atrocity, but then to actually be face to face with it and be okay with it, and then to actually celebrate it, it there has to be a dehumanization clearly for the people who are victimized by the atrocities. Right. Right. So what I always had learned about, so what fit into my brain is Hitler and, and the Holocaust. And I knew that for years, Hitler was talking about Jewish people as being rodents and vermin and, you know, less of a species. And there's like an indoctrination period that had to happen for several years from what I remember learning for the Nazis to be able to do the things to the Jewish people that they wouldn't have been able to do in the very beginning, right? right. Like in the very beginning, if, if Hitler would have tried to recruit people and go, we're going to kill a bunch of people, nobody would have signed up for that. Right. But there has to be an indoctrination. Mm -hmm. And eventually over time, people start going, huh, yeah, that makes sense. What about that? And, and so that indoctrination, coming back to to what I believe the white experience was in this country, that indoctrination of dehumanizing on our side as well. Not what I mean by that is not that we are not humans, but we don't have the human empathy. Like we have to be sterilized 
right? Like we have to be sterilized thinking that, you know, that, that certain people, the others are less than, and I don't even want to say some of the words that, you know, are in that programming, but you know, they, they're, or or maybe they enjoy it or maybe they deserve it, you know, because it's from God or whatever it is. So there's a sterilization that has to happen. I have to be cut off from natural human empathy that I think we all have. I need to be cut off from that in order to watch just disgusting, vile things that humans will do to other humans. Right. So I believe that's in my lineage as a white person. That's in my lineage. I am programmed to not feel the atrocities of other people. I'm programmed that. So I think part of this conversation for the white community, which is what we don't want, part of this conversation is to lean in and de-sterilize us. Like we need to feel again. So all the way back to, to George Floyd, a lot of people in the conversations that we were having, a lot of black people were asking white people, how can you not feel the, the horror in that video? Because, you know, people watch that video and black people see a husband, a father, a friend, yes. a man. They see themselves under the knee. White people, we don't see ourselves under the knee because we don't resonate. There's no connection primarily. And I know I'm making a broad brushstroke and, and, and we can't you know, paint everybody the same way, but the white community does not resonate with either person in that video, right? The officer is white, but we also don't want to resonate with somebody that could do that. Right. So we don't find ourselves in either of those roles. And so I, th- there was a lot of frustration where people would say, like black people would say, how can you not feel the pain of, you know, when George Floyd was, was yelling for his mom? I, how can you not feel that? And the truth is we're programmed not to feel that for on some, you know, sick level for our own protection, but so that we can continue the atrocities, right? Or at least not stop them. So it's, it's like part of the machine for us to not be able to feel, going back to what you said earlier, the shared humanity. So I believe part of our journey in the white community is to get back to that place where we can feel another human's pain, where we can feel the trauma. Now, we'll, we'll never be able to relate to the details, but can we relate as humans to what deep pain feels like? Can we relate to losing anything that we love? Can we relate on a human level at a very, very deep level? And the answer is absolutely yes, if we're willing to go there. But for the white community, that's an extremely uncomfortable path which is what we don't want to feel. But until we, we meet people at that, you know, that level of shared humanity right. and shared human, you know, human trauma, we're not ever going to really be able to, to connect. And it was in this conversation of racism that I realized, you know, they have this word namaste, which means the light in me sees the light in you. I think, and I've, I've, I haven't, I, I want to actually create a word 
that means literally, or we just make up the word and say, this is what it means. The pain in me sees the pain in you. Because I think if my pain can see your pain, now we can connect. Now yeah. we can feel the shared empathy or shared humanity rather. And then that leads to the empathy that's missing in all of these conversations. So that's what I think our journey is as the white community is to rehumanize ourselves to connect with people that aren't us. And it, it's just in our programming for the most part to not feel that. Wow. <laughs> that was a mouthful, Sean. <laughs> it really was very <sighs> deep, very deep. And I appreciate your vulnerability, uh, your honesty. I, I just am so appreciative for this conversation. And um, so Sean, I always ask my guests before we get ready to close that something like their top three. So what would be Sean's top three? Knowing what we just talked about, um, it can, I'm going to leave it open actually. And you can just tell okay. me what would be your top three for the listening audience from what we discussed today? Just top three concepts that we talked concepts about. Concepts or even anything? strategies. You just told us one strategy, which I think was awesome, but anything really, I want to leave it open. Beautiful. So I would say the first thing going all the way back to what you shared is for us to recognize the moments that are calling us forward. Those are the moments that are going to make the hair on the back of our neck stand up, give us goosebumps, cause us to choke up, you know, lump in our throat. We want to say something, we can't say it. That in my experience is always a sign that there's two opposing forces that something wants to come out of us, but something is trying to hold it in us. Mm. And that conflict is a, a required combination for the elements or the moments rather that we've been talking about. What's the moment? So number one, recognize your moment, mm. which requires self-awareness. Yes. The second thing is when you recognize the moment, ask yourself a version of the question you asked and I asked, even though we asked it in different ways and you went into prayer and I just thought, you know, what is, how are my kids going to remember this moment? So ask yourself, what do you want to have done once this moment was illuminated for you? And I think it's really critical that we make it intrinsic, you know, you and your story. It's not about what the woman does after you get finished with your actions, it's who do you want to be in your actions, period. Yes. So what do you want to have done? If you're on your rocking chair on the porch telling the story of the moment where you felt this inside of you, what do you want to tell your grandchildren you did about it? Yes. Or when you're gone, what do your grandchildren, what do you want your grandchildren to be telling their grandchildren about what their grandmother or grandfather did about it? Yes. And, and that's going to pull some like value out of us. What's the value that we want to stand for? We have to stand for something. So that's the second thing is assess how do you want to remember your actions of this moment? Mm. And then the third thing I would say is to take action, but take action with 
supported conviction. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think I've ever put those words together before. Supported conviction. Because if the moment is is big enough to be significant in your life, it's not going to be easy to take action on. Right. Anything that's easy is not going to change our lives. So if it's significant, that means it's not going to be easy, which means you have to be convicted in your determination and your commitment to the moment, but don't do it alone. If you do it alone, your primal need for safety will probably shut you down at some point in time. Yes. Yes. And I'm sure you could probably tell story after story, Charlene, of <laughs> so even though true. you made this choice, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm going to speak up and I'm not going to, I'm going to stay quiet. There's times that had you on your knees. There's times that had tears coming out of your eyes. Absolutely. There's times where you had to call somebody or somebody had to like really comfort you. And that support is so, so critical because we cannot make significant life changes and stay committed to them on our own. So those are the three pieces that I would say that came out of this conversation that hopefully people can capture and, and actually act upon. Wow. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited that you were here. This conversation, Sean, was so rich and I really believe transformative all at the same time. So audience, I hope that you can uh, savor every every conversation, every word that was, was spoken here. And I hope that it can actually help impact and change your life, bring self-awareness and all of the other wonderful things that it does. So thank you for listening. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for joining the podcast. When the Moment Chooses You is a bi-weekly podcast where I not only discuss my own passion and quest for responding to those destiny moments, but I will also be sharing inspiring stories, tips, and tools as we navigate this journey of life together. As you can see, I will also be interviewing amazing guests and risk takers with stories that seize the moment and transform their lives and those around them. My hope is to share my passion and to build a community around creating destiny moments because every heartbeat matters. Find me on social media and I'd love for you to subscribe to my YouTube channel, like and share as much as you want to. Thank you so much. And what will you do when the moment chooses you?